Welcome to the Dog Trainers Podcast. A podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. Hey everybody, welcome back and thank you so much for listening to the Dog Trainers Podcast. Mariano Alvarez here with Brent Labrada. This is Season 2, Episode 13, Creating Clarity. Now before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode and how and why we came onto this topic, I want to say... We know it's been a minute, and we appreciate you guys for following up with us and checking in on us. We love and appreciate all of the support, and with that, we have some shout-outs to get to before we dive into today's episode. So, without further ado, a big, big hello to Stacy Cotter, My Doby Luna, Paws and Pals Canine Training, and Mindful Pups. Thank you guys so, so much. We love you all. We're happy to be back, and with that... Over to you, man. What is up, everybody? Yes, we are finally back. It's been about a month and a half since we've done an episode. Uh, not because we didn't want to do an episode or didn't want to be with you guys, but uh, me and Mariano had a lot of great uh, changes in our lives uh, that we'd like to share with you. Um, go ahead. Tell, tell everybody what's new in your life, Mariano. Oh, man. I uh, Let's see. I got engaged, so that's, that's one. Isn't that fun? So <laughs> that's cute. So I'll actually be I'll actually be in your hood in like a couple of weeks for the engagement party in LA. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be there. Uh, Don't you worry. Oh hell yeah! My fiance and I moved into a bigger home. Luckily, business and everything else has been going so well that we just needed more space. So we got ourselves a new house. It's about twice as big as the old house. It's got an uh, like an in ground pool. It's you know in a nice neighborhood. It's just. Things have been going well on that front, and because things have been so busy, we've been hiring more employees, which you know is this huge project, and it's all this stuff, and in a way, it's a lot of stress, but also I, I couldn't be happier with it, and I don't want to complain about a good thing. So overall, just a ton of fun stuff going on, and then the, the reputation uh, of Untamed as a program has been growing as well, so I've been taking on a lot more shadows from different parts of the country. Sick. I've been- I've been having dogs sent to me from Canada and different parts of, of uh, you know, the country lately as well. We've been kind of climbing through the ranks of Arizona's like training. Uh, you know, there, there are like online uh, contests and things of who people think are, you know, really solid programs here in the Valley. Nice. And we're climbing up there to number three, you know, hoping to get to number one here very soon. But yeah, man, just a lot of cool stuff. What's new with you? Dude, that's amazing. Uh, what's new with me, man? There's a lot of, a lot of changes. Um, and it's crazy how fast time flies. Like a month and a half goes by super duper quick. Right. Um, and just recently I was reminded of season two, episode one, the thing that we did. And I think it was titled like How to Level Up. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think mm-hmm. both of us experienced just a leveling up of, of just of, of business, of life. And so forth. what's happened with me over the last month and a half um, a lot of shifts, uh, hiring new staff. Um, I just hired a new secretary uh, a few days ago who were training her up to be uh, good at a great customer service. She's super smart. Can't wait to start working with her. Um, uh, we're making some changes in the company. Um, also developed some really cool new friends, right? So uh, became uh, becoming good friends with Vinny Soma from Say It Once Dog Training. Um, getting to hang out with his associate, Will Aching, from uh, Ridside Canine. Uh, we actually got to go out to do a little trainer's retreat out in Colorado. Those of you guys who follow us on social media, you'll see some of the videos and pictures that we posted. Um, also been able to be flown out to different places. Uh, just recently came back from Humboldt County. 
uh, to working with a client's dogs up there. And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's cool. It's cool. You know, some of our friends from the mm-hmm. podcast, they, they typically, they go out and they get flown out and they get room and boarded to go train people's dogs all over the country. And it's really interesting. And, and it's cool to, to start in that path, which is really awesome. Right. Um, and so it's, it's exciting. It's uh, cool to help people in different parts of the country and different part of the state. Um, so yeah, I'm just really excited about that. And last but not least, uh, I just bought a ranch and I bought a ranch out here in LA, two and a half acres, um, horse stables, chicken coops, um, you know, big swimming pool, beautiful barracuda house. Coops. Huh? Yeah. It's a barracuda coops. Barracuda zebra coops. coops. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's really fun. And I got a whole acre and a half that's undeveloped and we're going to build uh, dog kennels, dog yard, play area. I'm going to build a guest house in that area. So really, really exciting. A lot of big moves being made. And my hopes for the ranch is that it becomes a venue for dog training and learning. Right. So, yeah. uh, we have uh, Jay Jack, who's going to be coming down here to, to LA Oh, right, um, at, right, right. At yep, the end of the year, right? At the end of the year, around November. Yep. And we're going to yep. be hosting him um, as one of our first uh, headliners of a seminar circuit that we're going to be starting out here. So got to get started on construction ASAP. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be lots of fun. So that's what we've been up to, guys. And uh, we're going to get back some momentum to come back and give you guys episodes every single every single couple of weeks, off more often. Um, and... Uh, Again, as Mariano said right early on, we, well, you guys still message us. You guys still email us. You guys still reached out to us. And so we have a lot of content coming your way based on some of the suggestions that we've got. What he's saying is leave us alone. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, sure. we, <laughs> we, Never. No, Never yeah, no, no, genuinely, guys. We know it's been a while and we appreciate you sticking with us. We appreciate you guys. We, uh, You know what I really appreciate is... Hmm. Even though it's been a while since we've done an episode, I guess the show has been out long enough now that like, like people have inside jokes with us now. Like somebody mm. was messaging me to my uh, to Untamed on on Instagram, and they were like throwing jokes at me about bringing up jujitsu and bugging <laughs> you about it, and you know, and I was like, that's funny. Like, that's I, awesome. I, I really think it's funny that they that they listen in and like really enjoy it that much, and and I love it so much because we we take this very seriously. We take you guys enjoying and learning and, and all that stuff super seriously and we can't tell you how appreciative we are and man we're just we're happy to be back oh man i got something if you guys don't know about this to all our spanish-speaking listeners uh mariano represented dtp in uh, our very very first spanish episode uh, ever done uh, can you tell people a little bit about that and where they could listen to it or check it out or who did absolutely it? absolutely so here, I left it out so on purpose. Let me remind myself the name of that podcast. <laughs> Find it. So anyways, while he's looking that stuff up, um, yeah, it's huge. So, uh, you know, we got reached out to by a couple of our, our friends in South America. Um, you know, my Spanish is not as strong as Mariano's Spanish. I, I, I know just enough to get by in a Spanish-speaking city and, and order food and, and find my, my way home. Um, that's how good I am, but, uh, but Mariano represented and I'm really, really proud of him. Um, and now I need to hire a Spanish tutor so I can join you on some Spanish episodes, man. 
Absolutely. It's called Laboratorio Canino Podcast. It's the Canine Laboratory Podcast. And we shot this, it's been a while actually, it's maybe been a couple, a few weeks or so. So I'll reach out to the guys. I'm sure it's up by now and I'll double check where you can find it. I would imagine you can find it on some, if not all major podcast platforms, but I'll double check that and I'll post it on the Instagram. But it was a ton of fun. And that was another one too, actually, where, you know, the guys, so they live in South America and they speak English, but obviously also speak Spanish. And the podcast is for Spanish listeners because not everybody in South America speaks English. And they were telling me what Melissa and Vanessa Velez were telling us that in South America, it's a fascinating world to be in with the dog training thing, because if you speak English, you have access to the, uh, you know, English speaking, like dog training information, be it European, Mm -hmm. American, Mm -hmm. North American, whatever the case, right? But if you don't, then the information you have access to is rather limited to certain parts of like Europe that speak Spanish, like Spain and what have you. Right. And so it was super fun to get their perspective on things coming from that point of view. It was a lot of fun how excited they were to have me on it. Like it was, it was just a total blast, man. And and I'm looking forward to doing more Spanish content because we, I guess, have a lot of listeners in South America. So what yeah. up, you guys? Love you all. For sure. I'm, I'm down to do some more Spanish stuff, and Brent's going to brush up, and then we do it together and, you know, and, and get that ball rolling. Damn right. I'm, hiring, I'm literally looked the last week for Spanish tutors. So yeah. hopefully <laughs> you go to my mom's house. Back. Go to your mom's yeah. house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> learn how to get yelled at. Anyways. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Let's jump into um, uh, today's episode. So after being gone for so long, we had a whole list of ideas, and we're trying to figure out, all right. What is something fresh? What is something recent that has that has that, that we've realized or an obstacle that we've come across? And uh, we were throwing some ideas around, and and one of the ideas is we were thinking, all right, what is it that clients, when we're training clients, uh, what is it that they suffer from the most? Right? It's definitely not caring about their dog. Um, it's definitely not you know feeding them the right food or getting pet insurance, like those aren't the things that the dogs suffer from. And we could say some really general stuff like, oh, it's structure and it's this, but we don't want to do that for you guys. We want to give you some a deeper understanding into what it is because uh, if you know specifically what you can change in your relation in the dog's relationship with their owner and vice versa, you're going to get better results. You're going to become a better trainer. People are going to refer you out. And this is ultimately our goal for you guys. So today's topic was creating clarity. You want to tell people what you mean by that? Absolutely. So in the interest of being specific, creating clarity means to be clear. Thank you very much. Good night. No. So (laughs) that's it. That's all we're done to be specific. We want to talk about ways to create clarity. Why is important and when it is important to create clarity. And what we mean by this, we break clarity down into three smaller points, teaching proper timing, the importance of timing, right? Teaching owners essentially how to best speak to their dog, how to communicate with their dog. Teaching the importance of conditioning is another. And by conditioning, we mean how do we take the beginnings of a behavior, the beginnings of an understanding or the beginnings of a boundary and build that from phase one to two to three and essentially teach owners how to develop and stick to and read this roadmap of progress, this roadmap to success. And the final point is teaching owners how to create a sense of calmness with their dog, the importance of teaching them how to settle down emotionally speaking, teach them to let go of 
things that distract them, that escalate them and what have you. So when we kind of break these things down, timing, conditioning, and creating calmness, that's what we mean about creating clarity. Yep. So let's dive into them and kind of dissect every single one. And those of you guys who are listening, I would take notes because most of my follow-ups, like when I work with a client who's done a board and train or uh, even people who've been in my higher level group classes and now we're just at a stage where we're just using the obedience and problem solving and things like this, these three themes come back every single client. And if you can master... Um, affecting these realms or these issues, right? And for the better, you're going to, you're going to get really good results. So timing, as we know, as dog trainers, right? We've all at some point learned about operant conditioning, classical conditioning, uh, the mm-hmm. cue has to happen and then the action behavior and event follows. Right. And so this is something really interesting. It's super simple, but 99% of owners get it wrong. And most people who are not dog trainers, get this wrong. So it's like one of those things that you only know if you're in the if you're, you know, a dog trainer, you're in the dog industry, how to how to forward condition something, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those of you guys who don't know what forward conditioning, we are saying a cue and then immediately directly after associating it to something. So that's how you charge a marker, that's how you charge a punisher. Uh, That's how you say good boy and then give the dog a treat, right? Like it's just how you develop Mm -hmm. associations to things. And so we see with dog owners, it is human nature to say things at the same time you're doing them, right? Mm -hmm. Like I always make the joke in a group class. I go, we don't go, yay, and then throw your hands up, you know? People go, yeah, at the same time. So they usually fist pump and say, yeah, at the same time. Or no one's going to go like, screw you, buddy, and then give you. They're going to go, fuck you, at the same time, they're going to tell you, right? So this is a very uh, normal human way of expressing like what, you, what you're saying and what you're doing usually tends to happen at the same time. But in dog training, we have that little interval in between, right? That interval is the inner stimulus interval. It's called the ISI in conditioning. So let's talk a little bit about that. What do you see people do wrong when it comes to timing, Mariano? Well, well, I mean, exactly what you said. So they tend to lose sight of the ISI, which is interesting because that applies to humans as well. Whenever I'm teaching a client the importance of that interval, I refer back to when everybody remembers taking their driving test and how there's a reason on the freeway you're expected to drive three seconds behind the car in front because if you see brake lights, sometimes you see it right away, but it takes a little half second before you hit your brakes. True. And three seconds moves pretty quick when you're right, you know, when you're moving at like 70 miles an hour. So the ISI is meant to give you that lag time essentially. And what I explain process. Yeah, right. Time to process. Well, and then make a move based on that, like on what you, what conclusion you've come to, right? Yeah. Maybe you think about it immediately, but you don't have time to like do the action of stepping on the brake pedal. So whenever I see clients struggling with this, the way or one of the ways that I really like to help them out, it was, it was actually the way that I learned because I used to do everything like all at once, like sit and, and hand signal at the exact same time. Uh, and I had to retrain myself I don't know, some years ago. Um, the way that I was able to split my my marker and my like follow through with my hand signals or whatever the case was by saying it once out loud and then a second time in my head like sit 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 and when i would say it the second time i would move at that time like sit sit with the hand signal mm-hmm. right no no and i'd click at the you know whatever the case um 
if clients are very musically inclined, I'll put on a metronome and I'll have them practice it. If they're very visual, I'll just, I'll stand there in front of them um, and I'll have them just show me, you know, sit and then they move and then they sit and then they move. Or a really fun one that I like to do and clients get a big kick out of it is if you guys can hear, I keep a clicker on me and I ironically, <laughs> I, I use it to train clients, to, to train the owners. I keep it clipped to my shorts and I tell them, you're going to say sit and then move your hand. And since they inevitably do it too quickly, I start to condition them this way. I go, okay, here's your new job. You're going to say sit. You are not going to move until you hear ready, go. And they say sit and I don't click and they do move. And I go, <laughs> and I go, ah, <laughs> and so I do it to like test them. And again, like it's just to make sure that they're paying attention, but it's also just to like break the ice so that they can have a little fun, right? Because right. then we get to have a bit of a laugh. Then they're focused though, because then they also know I'm going to call them out, right? Yep, so then they're yep. like, all right, sit, yep. click, and they go, sit, click, then they go. And I do that a few times and then I stop clicking and I make sure their timing stays put. Yep. That's actually great. It just primes them. Like you get them out of their own head because now you're, exactly. you're in control. So yeah, let them have some fun. Yeah. You're it, right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. There's a lot of um, group class exercises that, that we do like, like to get people out of their own heads. And, and that's, that's a perfect example. I'm going to steal that. That's so cool. Do it. Um, so, so yeah, that timing, right? Like there's a lot of names for it. Some people call it like a discrimination period, uh, some people call it like Pavlov's interval. Some people call it like uh, the beat. There should be a beat between mm-hmm. you know the command and the action, behavior, and event that happens after it, right? And so this is super duper important. I, I'll tell you a little bit of a story um, uh, because I think it's important to know what affects timing, right? So generally, when we ask clients to do something, right, there's a, there's usually a habit that's underlying, and sometimes that habit could be to either you're not doing enough or you're doing too much, right? Because if it was just right, like Goldilocks, if it was just right, the dog would be nailing it every single time. So I noticed that one a big factor that affects clients' timing is they rush. Everything is mm-hmm. rushing, right? And so because the only time they ask the dog to do a command is when there is a sense of urgency, right? The dog is immediately jumping on things. So now they go down, 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 down. They repeat themselves a bunch of times. They're unclear to the dog. They, and they condition that event triggers a panicked or an anxious response in how I ask the dog to do stuff, right? So it's the, the humans are getting trained to do things wrong and they have no clue, right? So I think one huge important part about timing is getting, making timing better at least, is getting clients to slow down, just like you did with that clicker exercise, Mm -hmm. to see how offbeat they are and to Mm -hmm. see how they're rushing. And it's going to feel so uncomfortable for those clients at first because it's so natural to them to just do and, and, and it's, it's unnatural, but it's so important to crack that egg open. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And and as funny as this may sound, when it comes to, you know, really honing in a client's ability to reshape their timing, I give them homework that is annoyingly simple. And I just kind of remove the elephant from the room by telling them, this is going to sound annoyingly simple to you. Here's what I want you to do. When you get home, take a 30 second video of you saying, sit, move, sit, move. 
as in, you know, move your hand, right? Mm -hmm. Send that to me. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to watch it back once a day. It's 30 seconds, right? Get the fuck over it. Watch the video. It's 30 seconds and practice with it. Sit, boom, sit, boom, sit. That way you get into the habit of it because some people are very visual and like seeing it, sometimes they send the video and it's good and everything, but like one or two of the sits was a little fast or something like Mm -hmm. that. And I don't ever bother really saying anything about it because they catch it and they love to like tattle on themselves. I know the third one was a little quick and I'm like, cool, look, I'm just making sure you're paying attention. It's all good, right? Like it doesn't need to be perfect. I just need to know that you're thinking in the right direction. Yeah. And that they're aware that they're aware of the better way. That's exactly. That's super important. Um, what else? What else can we say about timing before we move on? Well, uh, I can say this. Uh, when it comes to timing, depending on what exactly we're talking about, I believe it is very important to give several different stimuli its own time. Meaning, I have uh, a trainer from uh, from Memphis, Tennessee, who's going to be shadowing with us. He came the other day to do like an assessment, essentially, to kind of, he wanted me to see where he was and see what he needed to work on. So I ran him through some paces with some dogs, and now he's going to shadow for some of the things that he wants to shape up on. One of those things was breaking down timing when there's more than just one cue going on. So for example, you know, there's just one cue for sit, and then there's like the follow through, right? The hand signal with food. But if he were to do a place command with you know, e-collar pressure. There are several cues. There's the command place, and then there's maybe pointing to the bed, and then there's maybe turning on the pressure, and then there's maybe leash pressure to like guide the dog over with e-collar. And like, there's a lot of things going on. And I noticed that when trainers are doing things that are a bit more complex like that, they tend to like jumble all the other cues together. Like they say place, and then click, pull, this, that, this, all at once. And then the dog inevitably jumps on the bed, and I'm like, okay, was the dog listening to the e-collar pressure or did the dog follow the leash or did the dog move over there because he just followed you and you just walked over to the bed? Like, you know, which was it? And how do you know which it was? Therefore, how do you know where the dog is in this process? So why have them break it down? Place, click and hold, pull, then move. And depending on where the dog is, you'll see them respond to one of those cues, right? Moving being like walking toward the bed, which will get nine dogs out of 10, even if there was no e-collar or leash pressure, right? And then as the dog gets better, you'll notice you can do, you know, place, click, pull without moving and the dog will go. And then it's like place, click, and the dog will go without pulling. And then it's just place without even clicking. And you can, but you have to give everything its own individual, like, like room to breathe so that the dog can make that choice. And make the association, you know, exactly. I, I think that's more the association because, you know, once, once we'll talk about this in the conditioning section, because once the association is there. Now we can have a higher expectation. We can speed it up. We can add a weight to it, right? Um, actually, last thing about timing I want to talk about was something I touched I touched base on before. It was talking about this perceived urgency, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and there's this urgency again because we're only asking dogs to do stuff, or owners are asking dogs to do stuff when shit's hitting the fan. So they have a tendency of conditioning rapid fire of cues, right? And one thing that really popped into my head was like when we deal with leash reactivity right like like if you guys have ever seen a client who has a leash reactive dog and you run them through a simulated like pass by another dog you will see the trauma the ptsd of of grabbing the leash speeding up or slowing down or tightening things up you'll see a visceral conditioned response in the owner 
that in their mind shit's about to pop off at any given time whether the dog Mm -hmm. is popping off or not right (laughs) like the the owner is conditioned a certain way now that's like a really extreme uh form of like like a like a a negative emotional state of conditioning right but when we look at something as simple as like the dog jumping on someone at the front door right um you know they're usually speeding through every step they're just holding the dog back it's almost similar to leash reactivity right like like how a dog lunging at someone they have this this fast paced sequence that they go through and then the same thing at the front door like they just get the person in they hold the dog back they drop they let the dog go the dog gets jumps gets to jump anyways and so a lot of it is people are unaware of how dumb they're being until you slow shit down, until you record them and point shit out. And that's, it doesn't matter the behavior, whether it's aggression or overexcitement, slowing everything down increases the timing to be better. Exactly, exactly. Like, like we were laughing about, I think we weren't recording yet, but I always tell clients, uh, I'm always, always, always going to prefer you being clear over you being fast. If you want to impress me, don't be fast. Be clear. 100%. Right. Because once that clarity is there, then we can start getting fast. Right. Then the dog gets fast anyway. Yeah, right? It's exactly. just a matter of you don't have to run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Like you don't have to be fast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's take a quick little commercial break and we'll come right back. See you guys. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to Dog Trainers Podcast. You know what's a great way to support this podcast? By becoming a sponsor today. With sponsoring the podcast, you'll be helping us make this show the best it can be and so much more. From hosting more local events, traveling throughout the country, and connecting with trainers from around the world. Ultimately getting you, the listener, more of the content that you love. For more information, please contact us at dogtrainerspodcast at gmail.com. Or visit our Instagram page at Dog Traders Podcast. Thank you guys, and now back to the show. All right, guys, we are back. Thanks again so much for listening to the Dog Trainers Podcast. This is season two, episode 13, Creating Clarity. Now, just before the break, we were talking about the importance of timing and really making sure clients understand how to do it, when and why to do it and some of the major pitfalls therein. We want to move into our next point, which is conditioning. And the way that we broke down conditioning was building that blueprint, building that roadmap so that clients understand how to take their dog from one phase to the next phase, how to progress behaviors, how to progress boundaries, and so on. So a simple example would be, if a client were to come to you for training and say, you know, I love my dog and they're great and they even know some commands. The problem is I just can't get them to stay in a sit when somebody talks to them at the mall. And so we go, okay, let's, uh, let's break this down a little bit. How did you teach your dog to sit? And then from there, we can start to assess where there may have been, you know, a missing link. And if we wanted to start from square one, we could do something like this. Well, let's bring the dog to a very minimally distracting environment so that the dog can focus ask for the sit, lure the dog with food, and then progress from there, right? Maybe a bit more distraction, more distraction, and so on. So conditioning, building that roadmap so that you can get the dog from where they are currently to where they want them to be. But the big, big reason we bring that up is because 
clients need to become very aware of that as well. They need to be able to build roadmaps for themselves because sometimes they can either accidentally take the process of conditioning for granted and that can tend to lead in them like cutting corners, which you don't want to do, or they can do the other thing. They don't know how to progress from one thing to the next, so they just kind of stagnate and just practice the same thing over and over and never really get to where they want it to get. And so it's really important to make sure that we teach them this process. Yeah, totally. I just Google searched, uh, just wanted to see what, what the dictionary definition of conditioning was. And it says, the process of training or accustoming a person or animal to behave in a certain way or to accept certain circumstances. Right. Nice. And um, I really like, I really like this idea because when I think of conditioning, it's more of like, I always think of like in sports, right? Like what's the difference between, you know, JV and varsity. It's a level of conditioning, right? Or varsity college to NFL, you know, like what's the difference? And in, in it's a, it's a, it's a different level of intensity. And one thing that, that I'd love to talk about when dealing with conditioning is ultimately distraction work, is impulse control work, patience work, right? Because that ultimately is the glue that brings all dog obedience together. Is Does my dog have enough impulse control and self-control to actually execute or maintain uh, something that I, that I asked them to do, right? Is there a certain level of accountability that has been developed in the dog where I can rely on them, right? And that's, and that's the hard part. So... If I were going to come up with just some stages, well, I'll try my best here, okay? So the first stage of conditioning that I like to teach is I like to teach, like, just the learning. <laughs> hey, shh. What's the matter? Chill out, buddy. Lay down. Uh, first stage is the conditioning phase. Or, sorry, the learning phase. So the learning phase is I need to slow everything down, take away all of the distractions as much as possible so I can teach a new sequence, right? So if we were to take something like uh, dogs who get excited when people come to the door. Let's just break this whole scenario down. Stage one, no one is at the door. There is nobody at a door. So the first thing I had to teach the dog is what I would like them to do around the door, right? Now you can teach your dog to be stationary by putting them on a place. You can teach them to be calm by developing a de-escalation cue. Um, but pretty much whether you're controlling the dog's escalation or you're controlling the dog's physical behavior or, or, or position, um, mm -hmm. either way you have to shape that prior to anyone ever being at the door. So what I like to teach clients is in the learning phase, you're going to teach your dog to either be calm around the front door or you're going to teach them to be stationary around that front door while you fiddle with and play with the front door, right? So this means they can open the door, uh, go grab the mail. They can open, they can knock on the door, open it, pretend to talk to someone. They can leave the door wide open while they just walk in and out four or five times. They can grab um, a basketball and just tell the dog to stay or be calm while they're walking around that front door, right? But just teaching the dog, in essence, Around this area, I'm going to ask you to probably do something and make sure that that is so well conditioned that the dog doesn't look at it as a foreign concept when you do ask them to do something, right? So this is still stage one. It's teaching the dog that there might be an event that happens here at the door, and these are the rules of what I want you to do. Okay, Any event around this door, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. Then the second stage, what we're going to add, then we got to add... Um, 
what I like to do is I like to use distractions that excite the dog. Mm-hmm. So uh, bring, again, more toys, bring food, um, use a family member that the dog really, really likes, maybe the young daughter or when the husband comes home. But now we're going to exercise this with something familiar and we're going to exercise it with something repeatable. So we're going to, you know, someone's going to knock on the door. It's the husband knocking on the door, ask the dog to be stationary or just calm down, open that door. If the dog escalates or breaks the command, you start over from scratch and now you're teaching the dog to just be patient. The the same expectations you developed already, now you're just expecting them to do that with the dog, with with the, the owner there or the kid there, right? And you just keep going up that ladder. The problem is, is people might do this once or twice. And one thing I even have to teach my own trainers, training, you're not ready to move on to the next phase until the dog is very fluent in what you're trying mm-hmm. to teach, right? So like I had a, one of my trainers the other day, they're like, how's this dog doing? And she goes, you know, the dog's actually not bad. And I said, so describe to me what not bad means. And then she was like, well, you know, uh, she gets excited sometimes, but you can calm her down. And I said, what does it take to calm her down? And they go, well, you just pull on the leash and she'll stop. And I said, how many times do you have to pull on the leash? And she goes, uh, I mean, maybe like every four, every four, let me four out of 10 times you have to pull on the leash. I said, so the dog's not trained, right? The dog's not conditioned, right? The fact that you still have to correct the dog or you might have to, or you still have to pull out the cookie or you have to, you know, repeat yourself several times. That means the dog's not trained. So in this stage, when we're conditioning, we have to make sure that the dog is fluent in the concept. And fluency just means I want the, I want the dog to, to an, almost start anticipating what I'm about to ask them. I want my dog to maybe even offer the behavior before I've even asked them to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And then I can start making things harder. And a lot of times mm-hmm. what people do is they look at conditioning as a number. I did it 10 times versus conditioning as um, fluency, right? Like I need the dog to make sure they understand it. Right, right. And, and I think when we're talking about developing a client's understanding of conditioning, I also think it's important to remember or to help them remember that you're working toward the right thing. So like, for example, like Brent's saying, it's not a matter of do it 10 times. It's a matter of do it until the dog shows you they know what you want. Because when you talk about conditioning, what exactly are we conditioning? We're not necessarily, I mean, I understand we're doing like a command, like a down by the door, like, like you were saying, because that's the learning phase and it's meant to be very simple. But overall, most clients aren't necessarily trying to condition, get near door, laid down. Most clients are trying to condition, get near door, settle down. And so the point of using a, uh, a physical manipulation, like a physical position, like a sit, like a down, like, you know, is to teach the dog to settle emotionally, right? The sit doesn't matter, as in the sit can go away over time. But the settling down is what you're really looking for. So instead of looking at it like, oh, the dog does it five out of 10, six out of 10, 10 out of 10 times, look at it as when you open the door, does the dog get all excited? Or are they sufficiently conditioned? Do they believe? Do they anticipate? Right? Are the, are the dots connected? Door opens, uh, so whatever, doesn't matter to me. Yep. That's what you're looking for. Be them in a sit or a down or a place or not, right? So make sure that you're teaching clients to condition what matters and you're using other things like sits and downs or the out to like give space from the door, whatever the case, as things to help them condition 
calmness. Like make sure that you're looking and you have your eyes on the ultimate prize, not not these like auxiliary things. Yes, yes, exactly. And I, and I think kind of like like you have to finish. Who says this? Lynn Bokey says this. You have to finish the session where you'd like the next one to begin, and and you have to finish the lesson with the desired result. So that way we are clear that the dog understood the thing, right? And that's right. that's something that a lot of owners don't do, and even some dog trainers don't even do that. So it just keep that in mind. Now, this is the second stage. So first stage, learning, teaching, whatever you want to call it. Second stage is we are trying to create fluency in the concept. Once that concept is starting to become fluent, now we can start using distractions that we don't have control over. Now we can start using real strangers, real Amazon guys, real fr- you know, friends that might come over every now and then. So, so there's, it isn't until fluency is developed that it's strong enough for us to rely on it when it happens at random, right? We can't, mm-hmm. we can't recall that concept. So this is, these three stages is, is my key to success when working with clients. Now when I get a client who does everything to a T, works like a champ every single time. When I get a client who does it half fast, does it 30% of the time, 80% of the time, there's still always going to be a little bit of roughness. Now, obviously, I can't always expect my client to have as high a standards as I can because a lot of times they're just happy with good enough. But mm-hmm. my ability to persuade them, my ability to educate them, my ability to, if I do visit them at the house, to make the dog fuck up even more so they can see they still Mm -hmm. have work to do you know Mm -hmm. anything i can do to try and better that situation i'm gonna do my best to to make that happen sure sure and it's fun it's this fun like uh balancing act where if the dog is good enough and the client's happy with it sometimes that's a success in itself you got the dog to where the client wanted and that's kind of cool but of course as trainers we like to have a little bit of fun with it and kind of push the dog a bit further especially since i feel like brent and i are kind of like competitive by nature. So it's fun to really make dogs look as good as they can and, and make owners as happy and, you know, and, and fulfilled with the outcome of training as they can. Yep. But, you know, I'm just, just so it's said, like, let's say in a much more minor sense, like the, the small dog, no major behavioral issue or something. And like the owner doesn't quite care then, Hey, you know, if this is, if this is a, a circumstance that they don't see an issue with, then okay, cool. You know, maybe we should consider the fact that this is the set of expectations that they are comfortable with and if the dog ain't breaking any rules then the dog ain't breaking any rules right just just so that's said because i know that sometimes i personally i'm sure you do too especially with the podcast right is uh people reach out and they'll ask things sometimes like what if you know the the dog is doing this and it's like something kind of minor and the owner just doesn't really care or they don't really get it and i'm like well i mean here's a serious question is it is it that big, is it that big of a deal yeah right right i mean you know barring anything major obviously right. but if it's something minor, it's like, well, if they don't care, maybe maybe they don't care, man. Like, yeah. you know, it's consider that. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like sometimes this is a little off topic, but I remember being a trainer where I'm just like, you have to teach a, a strict heel, mm-hmm. but the dog's not even leash reactive. You know what right. I mean? Like, or the dog, right. or the dog already walks pretty. The good dog walks pretty decent. I was like, but you have to just because it was a tool that I found valuable in other situations, and I was almost having to sell a person to do that thing just because I felt that's how I could add value, you know? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, yeah, if the dog doesn't need it or if the owner just doesn't care, that's totally okay too, because that doesn't reflect on your ability to train that dog. Back in the white belt days. Back in the, exactly. White belt days. All right. 
Uh, let's take a quick little commercial break again, and we will come right back and finish our last point. Thank you guys for sticking around. I hope this has been uh, valuable thus far, and we'll see you very soon. Have you looked into dog training lately? Because these days, it can be so confusing. There's just so many methods out there for dog trainers and owners who, frankly, just want to do what's right for their dogs. It would be nice if there was just something out there where you could learn about the best methods from real dog trainers who genuinely know what works and who believe in honest and open conversation with trainers from around the globe. If that sounds like you, then the Dog Trainers Podcast is just what you're looking for. Come and listen to Brent and Mariano as they educate you about all the different methods and tools you can use today with absolutely no bias, just straight up information that can make you the best dog trainer you can be. Plus, you'll get the inside scoop from world-renowned trainers and so much more. Dog Trainers Podcast is a podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, and anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. If all this sounds good to you, then check us out today by searching Dog Trainers Podcast on your favorite podcast streaming platform. We'll see you there. All right, guys, again, thank you so, so much for listening. We are getting pretty close here to wrapping up episode 13 of season two. This is Creating Clarity. Now, just before the commercial break, we were talking about conditioning, building that roadmap to success, how to progress a behavior and association, et cetera. So now we want to talk about our final point in creating clarity, which is creating calmness, right? Teaching your dog how to relax, how to let it go. And I'm talking in an emotional sense. Of course, uh, an example being if you have a dog who's overexcitable on leash, regardless of context, maybe they're just a really pumped puppy, or maybe they can be a little nervous and leash reactive. Nonetheless, I feel that a lot of a lot of these behaviors on leash, off leash, they tend to stem from this place of a dog not knowing how to settle. Even if they understand that the owner wants them to settle. And that's why this kind of made the list in my head, at least, was because owners can know what they want and the dog can know what you want, but they cannot always know how to get to where you want them to get. And that is a connection that I really hate to see go unconnected, especially if a dog is, or rather if an owner is uh, pushing a little too quickly. For example, correcting something that the dog doesn't know how to fix. Right? as in punishing something the dog doesn't know how to fix. And so when I say creating a sense of calmness, I want owners to know how to teach their dog how to settle. I want owners to know when to teach their dogs to settle, how you can do this with obedience, without obedience, with other forms of, of just training and living with your dog on a day-to-day basis. And the way that I like to look at this ultimately I love that Brent was talking in terms of conditioning about uh, about anticipation because ultimately I 100% agree with that statement. And the way that I like to look at creating calmness is I want the dog to develop a sense of belief or a sense of, of trust in dependability in the handler, in the owner. And what I mean by belief is if the dog has this innate, urge to do whatever it is, right? They, they don't get excited for nothing, right? A lot of times, 
the dog, especially if it's a more negative context, reactivity or, or running, right? Fight, flight, right? They're doing it, like all jokes aside and, and misdiagnosing of different people aside. It's not like my dog is so stubborn. My dog is so whatever. It's like, look, man, my dog's afraid. My dog is just trying to protect themselves or me or both of us. And when you look at it that way, it's hard to be upset with the dog. And it's fascinating when you look at it through that lens, because ultimately what's happening is if the dog knows what you want, but chooses to, to protect anyway, they're not disobeying you. They're prioritizing your safety over your command. So in a weird way, they're trying to be like your best friend. They're like secret service. Or their safety over your command. Or their safety or both again, yeah. right? And either way, who can blame them, right? So in order to build a sense of calmness with this dog, you have to build this sense of trust where my, my internal, my instinct, my little calculations in my head tell me I should be doing this. But Mariano said, don't worry about it. So you know what? Even though I know he says, don't worry about it, can I trust him enough to actually not do it? Can I set my own internal red flags aside and go with what this guy says instead? And when you look at it that way, it's kind of amazing just how much a dog, an intelligent animal, is willing to trust you. And that really helps owners, I think, on an emotional level, uh, get in tune enough to want to go through the process of building calmness. And that's my favorite piece of it is understand you have to build trust. And one of my favorite quotes is from Deep Blue Sea. It's a very mediocre movie, but Deep but Blue it's, it's the simplest <laughs> Deep Blue Sea. But it's but it's a very is it's it, a very LL Cool J. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LL Cool J. Samuel Jackson. <laughs> but it's a super simple quote. It was by um, it was by uh, what's that 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 dude? Ah, uh, anyway, it was. Uh, Why do you trust me? You trust me because I'm trustworthy. And so I always tell clients, if you want your dog to trust you, you have to be trustworthy. And that means you have to be consistent. Consistent means dependable. Yeah. Dependable means trustworthy. Right. You know, it's interesting because if you, if you relate this to human, human, like growing up as a kid and all that stuff, uh, it's not a foreign concept. Like regulating no. emotions is not a foreign concept. But some- I'm so sorry. What? Michael Rappaport. Michael Rappaport. Continue. Oh, yeah. He's the man. He's the man. <laughs> yeah. Um. But like going back in human culture, like as we're growing up and raising kids, it is not weird to control emotion or to regulate emotions, right? So right. like if, if you're in a classroom of a bunch of second graders or third graders and one kid starts talking, well, why does the teacher stop that kid from talking? Well, because that one kid's going to talk to the second kid and that second kid's going to trigger the third kid and then the fourth kid and the fifth kid. And there ends up becoming kind of this cascading of eventually the, the teacher will lose control of the classroom, right? And that's just the nature of it. So you stop it while it's small so it doesn't become bigger, right? And if you think about like as children, like how often were you set, told like, no running in the halls or stop talking so loud or... Uh, you know, watch your tone or whatever it was. There was always a level of emotional regulation because, you know, we, we might have coined it like we might have disguised it as respect and uh, manners and all this other stuff. But but as a byproduct of all those things, most people we learn to control ourselves. We learn to not give in to our primitive impulses. We learn to not fight everybody all the time. Right? And don't get me wrong, if it happens to an extreme. You know, that's not healthy either, but there is, there's been so much conditioning for us as children. Like I, like this came into my head the other day, a car seat, being in a car seat is a sit stay. Being in a classroom is a sit stay. 
uh, going to bed is a bed stay. You know, going to bed on time is, is pretty much telling your child to go, go to his place and lay there <laughs> until he falls asleep. Right. Well, maybe you'll like this one. Waiting on first base while the next batter is about to hit is a sit stay with distraction. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but there's, but through sports and through manners and through life, like there's so much training that we've had to do to control our impulses and to help mm-hmm. us make clearer decisions that we take for granted. Like we don't even think about them. Right. But somehow in dog ownership, calming the dog down can sometimes parallel being the fun police, which sometimes makes people feel like bad dog owners. Right. Mm-hmm. So they were like, well, the dog's just having a good time. Well, the dog likes it. The dog's enjoying himself. And why do I have to calm him down? Because that's your job as a parent. Like your job as an authority figure or a parent, if you want your dog to be able to live a life amongst many, many humans you need to be able to regulate his emotional states. And if you don't know how to regulate those emotional states, you have zero, you have zero recourse if things go wrong. Right. So like socializing or anything. Right. Right. And you know, right. As you said that I'm actually typing this before I forget it as we speak, but I think did I say something profound. You, I think you did. Well, and and you definitely triggered something that was, that was profound in my head, which was, you know, you were talking about children and how a teacher and why a teacher does what they do. And, you know, I made the joke about sports and whatnot. But here's what kind of popped into my head is people are such talented learners. I mean, humans are amazing learners that I think because of that, we take the process of learning for granted. Mm. And so we tend to like, we just kind of expect dogs like, why don't you just know what no means? Why don't you just, mm-hmm. I say it and I, I point my finger at him. And yeah, yeah. Just, just, just learn what I'm saying to you. Yep. And it's like, look, remember, you went through 18 years of school. Yep. And that's if you didn't do anything beyond regular school. So you have to cut the dog a little bit of slack, right? It's true. And, you know, and mind you, this is learning, like, even if we're talking social learning with everybody else around you who also went to school. So, like, you're learning even when you're not at school. So, like, you, you know, I think we're such good sponges that we forget. Like, dogs are good sponges, too, but they're not, right, but they're not soaked as much as we are. So, like, you have to remind people that you were given ample opportunity to be taught and to be tested give the dog the same respect totally so well said you're right that was profound man i wish i would have made that up that was good <laughs> let's <laughs> pretend you did I, I'm, I'm writing it out i'm gonna put i'm gonna put bl on it but no that was all you baby <laughs> write it down just put dtp yeah, okay. at the end oh there you go yeah, i'm right. gonna do that dtp copyright cool. dtp <laughs> All right, so online. so creating no, calmness, right? Like I, I think so. This this falls back into timing and conditioning, right? The biggest reason dogs won't calm down for their parents is because they don't condition it, or they have horrible timing communicating it, right? And so going all back to it, if we can teach our dogs to slow down or stop doing something, like that's 90 percent of dog training, right there. Mm-hmm. Teach them to stop or slow down, like that's it. Like that, that's all the communicate, most of the communication concepts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so creating calmness, how do we teach young dog trainers to teach their, their clients better, to teach them the importance of creating calm? Mm, there's something I say a lot, and it's, it's firmer, faster. And what I mean by that is if you feel the dog beginning to escalate for whatever the reason, whatever the context, begin the process of slowing this dog down right now. Mm-hmm. Don't wait for them to start pulling. Don't wait for them to start lunging. Don't wait for whatever the case. 
that is what I teach trainers to teach owners is start right now. And especially like we were talking in the beginning of the episode, you brought up an excellent point of like trainer or sorry, owners can have like this, this like PTSD, you know, they have reactive dog and they freak out. Like even before the dog does anything, they see another dog halfway down the block. They're already getting nervous and pulling on leash and, you know, and we're already in process of like, yo, relax that leash arm. Like, you know, so starting the process of de-escalation sooner, meaning the dog never gets as excitable because you're stopping them faster, which means the likelihood of whatever this outburst is less because the dog never got to that point. Right. That helps owners over time stack positive interactions, build confidence, and that helps them settle down. That way, just like you said with conditioning, when we slowly, gradually step it up to maybe a point where the dog may actually react, now the owner is more capable and more relaxed themselves so that they can execute accordingly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think creating calmness, right, or teaching our dogs to have calmness in general, mm-hmm. it, it's not just done in obedience. I think one of my favorite ways to teach calmness is actually through play, right? Like mm-hmm. structuring play in a way where I can excite the dog, get him super adrenalized, and then calm him down. And then get them to pause, get them to chill, and then engage them back into play, right? Um, you can also teach calm just as a routine, right? That's what the whole point of crate training and place training mm-hmm. and you know, providing some levels of structures and routine. Like all of this is an attempt to create periods through the day where the dog mandatorily has to chill, right? Mm-hmm. Just like we went to recess and then we went to class and then we went to recess and then we went to class and then we went to bed. You know what I mean? Like there's ups and downs and peaks and valleys of, of energy that we had to learn how to regulate as kids. Um, and then another one I think that's, that's really important is all on that same note, it's, and you, you touched on it too, it's stopping things while it's small, right? Kind of like, mm-hmm. like the teacher who stops the one kid from talking so that 10 kids aren't talking, right? Right. And, you know, I'm... There are some behaviors where I don't, I, I wouldn't say this applies, but by no means, we, we need to make it very clear to dog owners, by you telling your dog to not do this thing, it's, if it's not good for them, you're preventing the whole uh, like cascade effect or the domino effect that leads to the bad thing, right? Right. But if right. it's something that the dog just shouldn't do now, because it's the wrong time. Like the dog's trying to play with you while you're, hey, mm-hmm. hey your dog. Breaking down, I might looking all adorable. Yeah, looking all cute. Um, let's say the dog's trying to play with you and you're just watching TV, right? Well, you need to make sure you make time to play with that dog. But not right. at that time. It could be at a separate time. You know what I mean? So teaching dogs the time and place where it's okay to feel certain ways or behave certain ways and then teaching them that other times and places you can't do that, right? So like I can act this way at church and I act this way at Chuck E. Cheese. It's different, right? So yeah, so that's what I got to say about that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think, I think that those things have been huge game changers, particularly what you just said, right? It was teaching people to teach dogs how you can it's almost like raising a baby you can essentially sleep train them right like i can condition when to be calm when to be excitable when to be here when to be there and you can do it through uh through structure like crate training it's it's like a mandatory calmness like if you put the dog in the crate there's kind of nothing else to do but relax 
Or you can also do it by happenstance. Like if I play with a dog and then work the dog and then go for a walk, they're going to conk out when I get home whether I create them or not. So there's a lot of fun ways that you can do these things. And by fun, I don't just mean fun for the handler because it should be fun, but it should be fun for the dog. And that's what I mean too. So definitely, I, I love I love the ability, the creativity that you can use to teach dogs when and how to move into an arousal state or a headspace that you'd like them to be in so that it, it kind of flows more conducive with the rest of the household. I dig it. I love it, man. Well, I think this was a pretty good uh, comeback episode. Uh, again, oh, yeah. this is a DTP guy season two, episode 13. This episode is called creating clarity. If you guys haven't already, make sure that you guys leave reviews on any of the podcast platforms that you're listening to us on. It just helps us uh, come up more organically in the searches um, and, uh, yeah, guys, we really appreciate you. If you guys like this episode, DM us, let us know that it was helpful to you guys. We'd love to hear from you guys. You guys can also email us at dog trainers, uh, dog trainers podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, we love you guys and we'll see you guys next time. My name is Brett Labrada. That guy's Mariana Alvarez and we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Dog Trainers Podcast, a podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode and can't wait to be back with you guys. Be sure to follow us at Dog Trainers Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to punch the hell out of that subscribe button and leave us a review. Remember guys, this is your podcast. You're the best listeners in the world, and we'll see you next time. 